Hey everyone, it's Drags, and it's Wednesday, July 25th, time for episode 255 of Patriot Speed on the CLNS Media Network. Find us at clnsmedia.com, follow us on Twitter, at CLNS Media, and for all football coverage, including the Patriots, follow us on Twitter, at Patriots CLNS. I've been trying and trying to get this week's guest on, even more so than former Patriots players. That's how much I've wanted to speak to this guy. This is not hyperbole or hyperbole as we like to say if there's anyone out there with a pulse of patriots nation on the eve of 2018 patriots training camp it's the one and only jerry thornton of barstool sports he is the co-host of the laces out show that uh, many of you are very familiar with he co-hosts with former nflers pat mcafee and aj hawk on barstool he's also the author of from darkness to dynasty jerry how the hell are you and how was europe Oh, Trags, you magnificent SOP. You know, I follow you through the gates of hell. Um, appreciate the And run through that brick wall. <laughs> right. Leave, leave a Roger Rabbit-like outline of myself through the, through the bricks. Um, you know what, Trags, my first time ever going to Europe. It's my, my wife and I are 25th anniversary. We plan on really? going for our 20th, and by the time life stopped getting in the way, we went to dinner. Like, we sat at a table next to some guy who was daddy's visitation weekend. The kids were wearing a baseball hat on backwards. They're staring into the phones. We said, when 25 comes around, we're going to Europe. So we hit Italy, and oh, my God. Uh, it just There's a reason people travel more than I do, because it's so worth it. It's just saw so many spectacular sights, did nothing but eat and drink. The people couldn't have been nicer. Uh, you know, every time I tr- I'm stuck in traffic on... 93, I'm looking around going, yeah, last time I was behind the wheel, it was like rolling vineyards and mountains and, uh, you know, olive groves farmed by the salt of the earth people. Uh, I'm, I'm so going back. I am so, so going back. I got to tell you, your uh, your stories on Instagram uh, were fabulous. I follow you on Instagram <laughs> almost as much as I follow Barstool on Instagram. How about that? Yeah, <laughs> I have to step up my game because there there aren't a lot of spectacular twenty uh, year old models on my site. Unfortunately, uh, no. But uh, I, you you leave it you leave it to your compadres, your colleagues who do an exceptional job on uh, Barstool, both uh, on the, obviously on the website, but on Instagram. It is um, obviously for uh, those of us who partake in parody and cynicism. It is the best for sports sports culture. I I love watching Barstool videos. I mean, it it is like the the, the guilty pleasure, right? At the end of a long day, and you just want to unwind your mind just put on instagram and barstool right and and you just feel much better about everything yeah uh, when instagram first came into you know being okay so this is for people who don't have the attention span for 140 characters on twitter um but i've come around i get it It just those times where you just say I don't know. I'm not awake yet. I haven't had coffee. I just want to look at pictures and short videos of things. And, you know, we also have uh, the At Laces Out show on Twitter and on Instagram who do very similar thing with a narrow football focus. And where these guys find the the clips is beyond me. But you're right. It, it never it never ceases to amaze. And not to mention, you know, the the, the females that are on there. 
who are, uh, you know, they're all nines. They're all there willingly. It's it's a great time to be uh, an internet site that's exploding. It's also a really good time to be an attractive female, but I think there always was. Yeah, I I would not disagree with that. I I would not disagree with that, nor do I find that insulting or chauvinistic. But let's move on to more of the business, and that is uh, your Laces Out show um, uh, with Pat McAfee and A.J. Hawk. And how is the culture of that show different uh, than what you were doing at EEI? And I'm not, you know, and and I'll preface this, Jerry, by saying I'm not asking you to throw anybody under the bus. I'm just saying it's got to, the culture's got to be a lot different, right? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, they're... They're, the great thing about podcasting is there there just are no rules. There's no schedule. There's no, okay, well, we're going to have to address this today. Uh, you know, we've tried to give the show a little bit of structure and realize hey, we're wasting our time. Like, it's really just flip on the microphone, count down to, to the intro, and then I just begin with, okay, let's talk about, and the rest of the time I'm grabbing the reins of the horse while the wagon is being pulled full speed down a, a ravine. It's, it's incredible. Like, um, you know, McAfee is a, is a force in nature. Um, you know, his, his mind is unique in all the world. Uh, AJ Hawk is a solid grounded guy. who's also a lot of fun. And for me, it's great to just sort of, you know, give these guys a, a chance to, to talk, to, to give insight. I mean, I'm coming at them from the perspective of, yeah, I'm, obsessed with football but in no way can i claim to know what i'm talking about so you guys tell me and this uh, it's a lot of ball busting it's it's a lot of mutual respect too but um for me it's a chance every single week to vent about the things i watch all day on sunday like we literally get together on you know sunday night and just immediately react to the stuff that we've we've seen basically like you know your buddies do and my buddies do right and it's just we're doing it on skype instead of uh sitting in a bar like normal people what is it like working for el presidente david Porter? <laughs> yeah you know and I'm a, I'm a veteran of these wars i i can't really figure out my date certain of when i began but it was back when barstool was literally just uh free newspaper that you got out of a box, you know, on the street downtown. I remember those days. I, <laughs> Believe it or not, I'm, I'm as old as you are, Jerry. Were you reading it back then, Jerry? I was. I was. Okay, I... See, that was great for me. I was the, he had two other writers besides himself, Jamie Chisholm, Pete Manzo, and I just came across an ad for it, looking up something online, and they're looking for writers, and I sent him a sample, and he says, okay, you're, you're hired. Uh, it doesn't pay anything, but uh, whatever. I was just looking for a, a right an outlet, an opportunity. And I went from, over the years, I went from surprised that anybody had ever heard of us to I started to be surprised if anyone hadn't heard of us. I, a watershed moment for me was when uh, Chisholm, one of the other writers, said he knew people in the Red Sox front office, the Theo Epstein regime, and they not only read us, but we had influence in what they were doing. Like they saw us as the voice of the fans. I was like, really? You're kidding me? And then watch this thing grow. And, you know, as far as working with Dave, you know, it's, it, it's not easy. This is his creation. He's very protective of it. Uh, he's blunt. 
you know where you stand with them. Um, you know, I, I like to cite the example of for a while we had a bowling team in the in the Boston Sports, uh, the Boston Media Bowling League, and he was merciless if you weren't having a good night. <laughs> That's just how he is when you're writing for him or when you're producing content, and it's all coming from a place of we're all in this together. It's we're, you know we're, we're all trying to do something great. We, we've broken the mold. We've done something that no one is done before. Certainly not as well or as successfully. And and I respect that. And for me personally, when I left, you know, to, to go to EGI full time, he had a very nice tribute to me. And then when I came back to go full time, I hadn't been a bicycle full time. Uh, it was. It was very moving what he said. I felt welcome back, and um, I thank God every day that this is what I get to do for a living. Well, you're like you know a brother who comes back into the fold, right? I mean, that's kind of what it is. I, yeah, I was just you know I I left on good terms. I left the guy on good terms to go back to Barstool. It's just a you know matter of you know if you work hard, if you care about what you're doing, if you're good to work with then I think people are genuinely happy for you when you move on, when you try to seek some sort of success. If you play games, if you, you know, uh, if you politic or whatever, if, you, if you're disingenuous to people, I, I don't think you get that, that kind of support. So, you know, a long time ago, a comic gave me, and I've been doing comedy now for, geez, like 25 years, he, he gave me this advice, and I think it, it works for all of life. He said, it's a pie chart. And every piece of the pie is exactly the same size. So, yeah, you have to be funny. But you also have to be good to work with. You have to be on time. You have to do the time that's allotted. You know, all, all those things. And I've tried to do that uh, in my barstool career. Not so much the job I used to have when I started at barstool. I mean, I was nailing that in because I wanted <laughs> to be a writer full time. And I had people used to say, you know, you're not going to be here long. You're going to move on. You're going to make a career out of this. And I thought they were nuts, but there you go. It's the age we live in, my friend. Well, and I, before we get into the football, I want to ask you one more question yeah. about um, the business. And that is, you and me both worked uh, for Rob Bradford on the dot-com at, at EEI. Uh, and you worked, obviously, there at EEI on air as well. What did you learn from that experience on the commercial side of of communications as opposed to really working outside the box at Barstool? Yeah, I, I would say I learned a lot, especially from uh, from Gail and Michael, um, Gail Arnold, Michael Hawley, and it was about preparation, you know, and I, I think there's a temptation that people have to, to think that oh, all you guys do is talk about sports. I do that all day long at, at my work, and I'm not getting paid for it. But you know, there's there's a preparation that that goes into it. There, there really is. And 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 Dale's take to me was, it, you really have to prepare one hour for every hour that you're going to be on the air. And that that preparation might just be watching the game while taking notes or whatever, like watching that that sure. closely, or it might be working out what your opinions are going to be on something, it's researching something, it's finding an article or, or, or whatever. Um, and then the, the rest of it is group dynamics. You know, it's it's being able to, in comedy we call it reading the room. It's just understanding the personalities of the guys you're with, having your own voice. And and it can be tough. You know, sometimes you can you can lose that voice. Sometimes you, you're, you're trying to be something that maybe you're not or 
try to care about something you don't care about. Um, in the long run, you can't do that. You got to be who you are. Not on the writing side. <clears throat> God bless Rob. He gave me this corner of the site to do my goofy stuff. That some sports, but weird pop culture stuff. And you know, uh, pictorials of tennis player Jeannie Schwinnard just because she's adorable or whatever. Um, and I realized, okay, you know what? When I was at Barstool, I sometimes would get frustrated if I wrote something and it didn't get posted. But I realized, okay, big picture, there's a flow to that. You can't just do four articles in a row that are about some some pretty celebrity on Instagram. You know, you want to give people a reason to keep checking and keep coming back and 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 so forth. And so, yeah, I have a new appreciation for what it's like to run the website that I currently work for. It's it. You know, it's, it's, you're not a soloist in the band. You're in the band, you know, and sometimes you got to play the rhythm chords and sometimes you got to play the keyboards or whatever. And, and that's how you produce something that's, that's great. So long winded answer, but, um, my God, it, I loved the opportunities that, that, that Rob and, uh, the station gave me for sure well and and the thing is that i want people to understand here is um and i i can speak directly from experience having worked with rob rob was in a tough spot because he wanted you to do that stuff but the most of the readers i'd say 90 percent of the readers were going there for sports information and they don't i don't frankly know if a lot of them knew how to read you like on the site do you know what i mean by that yeah, I, I I get it. It's you know it's a different sort of audience that maybe isn't going to Barstool to have like a, a couple of laughs. You know what I mean? They they I, you know this this blew me away when he said this, and and maybe you had the same reaction when when he said they get more traffic about an article about a Red Sox prospect than about any other thing. Yeah, that that surprises <laughs> yeah. me. That very you know much I mean? surprises like, me. The dead of winter, there are, are legions of hardcore team heads who want to be general manager and play that game. I'm like, really? Okay, sure. Um, I guess. I, I'm more excited about this movie trailer that landed for the next Marvel tentpole film or, or whatever. But, um, yeah, I guess that's that specific EEI audience. You know? Well, and that, we're, we're gonna, and that is not yeah, to cut you off there, uh, Jerry, but that's why Alex Spear... Um, springboarded to the Globe and, and now has 108 themes at the Globe because, uh, you know, that blog, that baseball blog he has that's very successful is because of that audience. I, I can see that, absolutely. And I, I'm not there when it comes to, say, uh, baseball. I mean, yeah, I'm happy to hear that the Red Sox have a, have a you know, like Andrew Benintendi, like knowing that he was on his way with, sort of exciting, but, you know, the, the deep dives into, like, you know, single A ball and some 19-year-old that they're excited about, it's not my jam, but then again, Travis, I look at, like, I I dive into some pretty nerdy, like, football stuff. I mean, you know, the Chris Brown books about, you know, that the get into X's and O's and the history of the zone read and, you know, and, and the, the jet sweep and, and that kind of stuff, and, and that to me is, is is really fun. I, I think with sports, it's like, like you drive around on a Saturday and there'll be guys with the, in their driveway with the hood up on their car and like a padded blanket and all the, like the parts out there and they're taking it apart. I, I think I do that with football. Some people do that with baseball. I have friends who do it with hockey. 
you know, that are fascinated with a, a game against Winnipeg in December <laughs> and who the Bruins have on their, their third pairing or whatever. I'm like, wow, okay. Not, not my thing, but I respect the hell out of it. Hockey and, Krishnas. You know, it just, yeah, positively. So, like, to me, so if it, using the car analogy, like, with football, I want to know like, where piston feeds into what and where does the, the, the exhaust go. With hockey, I just want to make sure the damn thing's running. You know, <laughs> I'll change the oil every 3,000 miles, but is it the playoffs yet? No, okay. And so that's the beautiful thing about living in this market is we've got this embarrassment of riches. You know, we are stuffing our face on an all-you-can-eat buffet of four interesting, fascinating teams, and even when things are going bad, there's something to be interested about. And I, I think every day, and I used to say this at the station, what's it like for some guy who's writing about sports in Utah right now? I mean, once he's done with the jazz and what, you know, uh, I don't know, Brigham Young did, <laughs> he's trying to find all his bullets. What is he doing now for the rest of the day? So uh, I, I, I love it. There's no other place I'd rather be doing what you and I do than right here. To answer that question, I think he's riding on a, horse on his ranch somewhere but uh maybe we'll have to go out on a trip you and me jerry into the wild west in utah in the middle of july and find out the answer to exactly that question speaking with jerry thornton of barstool sports uh the one and only jerry thornton want to tell you guys about a new wellness brand for men it's called hymns for hymns.com there's a problem out there 66 percent of men lose their hair by the age of 35 thing is when you start to notice hair loss, it's just too late. It's always easier to keep the hair you have than replace the hair you've lost. How will you feel a year from now if it's, well, business as usual up top? I ask you, do you want a bald spot to pop up or do you want to do something about it first? There is a solution. It's called 4 a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. Thanks to science, baldness can now be optional. Hims connects you with real doctors and medical-grade solutions to treat hair loss. There's well-known generic equivalents to name-brand prescriptions to help you keep your hair. Order now. My listeners get a trial month of Hims for just $5 today, right now, while supplies last. See the website for full details. This would cost you hundreds if you went to the doctor or a pharmacy. Go to 4 slash trags. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash T-R-A-G-S, 4 slash trags. Speaking with Jerry Thornton of Barstool. Okay, the football. Have you had enough of Tom Brady? Speaking of Instagram, uh, Jerry, have you had enough of Tom Brady on Instagram this offseason? I have. Oh, you, you know, that's a narrow piece of it, but the whole thing, the whole drama, it takes yep. since, you know, since that fumble ended the game effectively, sure. this whole offseason has been like a very special episode of a sitcom. You know, it's just, it's dark and grim, and I want to laugh, and instead, like, I'm, I'm like, you know, my parents are in the next room having a, an argument. I'm saying, what's up, arguing? Well, I'm having a discussion, and I'm, I've spent it basically with my face down on the pillow with my hands over my ears, just, God, make it stop. And in about, I don't know, 48 hours or so, it's going to be practices. 
and right. like very limited press conferences and no more interviews with Jim Gray that you and I have to dissect and analyze. <laughs> and no more Tom versus time. And what does he mean by that? What is Gronk doing? He, he, hashtag, that's a, wait, that's a rap lyric, but if he's saying he wants more money, that he's unhappy, uh, just, because it, it just sucked the life out of you. Like, well, I'm, I'm cynical, okay? I am one of the more cynical people you will meet on the face of the earth. And I just... No. At, at, no. at some point... At some point, I just tune it out and go, whatever, dude. That's why I go to Barstool. Because... With Barstool, there's cynicism, but there's humor. It's like Family Guy. It's why I watch Family Guy or American Dad or um, you name any type of cynical show out there. Yeah, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. It's a great show. And I watch those shows because it's my outlet, my release. And this offseason of Patriots has has driven me much more into that theater of cynicism than ever I thought possible. Um, and I got to tell you, the dad bod um, picture of Tom Brady with Giselle was pretty hilarious. Look, I mean, he opens himself. You know this. You're a Tom Brady fan. You're one of the biggest GOAT supporters out there. I know that, Jerry. But you've got to to, to, ad- to be clear, his restraining orders say no, but his eyes still say yes <laughs> Uh, you're the best, Jerry. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I'm just saying. Ted too at his place over in Brooklyn. I may have climbed up on the balcony with a red solo cup <laughs> and tried to fill it, but no, I denied all those charges. Well, here's the deal. You know, you know, and I yeah. know he opens himself up to this type of cynicism when he posts all of these Instagram videos and pictures. I mean, I got to tell you, the one that made me really kind of roll my eyes was him outracing his son in the pocket and running down the sideline. And I'm like, okay, if that's the measure for the greatest quarterback that's ever been to be ready for the uh, training camp to begin, then I'm not so sure that maybe he is ready. (laughs) I'm obviously being sarcastic. Although the one from this weekend with him throwing the football to Wes Welker in the back of us, that was golf great. Cart 50 yards up field and then right and then doing the Larry Bird and I know he linked uh Steph Curry on that now walking off after the ball's left your hand with your one finger off that is a wholly owned uh, copyrighted property oh, of Larry Legend uh, of Larry Bird right 1986 all-star game absolutely um yeah and I guess we're still we're coming into camp still wondering how much fire was with all this smoke. I, I'm convinced it's very little, but there's a, an agenda out there. And I mean, not to specifically point out anybody, but, but the guys who have been fanning that flame more than anyone have been Felger and Maz, who have themselves convinced that Brady went into Kraft's office last year and demanded that Jimmy Garoppolo get traded and Belichick was furious about it. And so Belichick, like, sent him to San Francisco for nothing, just to prove a point. There you go. And that they can't stand each other. And I just think, is there friction there? Sure. Obviously. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't think anybody, that, yeah. even inside, outside, in between the organization, would deny that. It's how many levels of truth 
are there to the story. That's what you really always have to keep in mind when you're talking about the Patriots because of the way um, they camouflage everything, the way they uh, keep their secrets pretty much for the most part to themselves. Look, I mean, you read Greg Bedard of the Boston Sports Journal. He says there was never a uh, a meeting between the three, and that just fans because you know he is a very good friend of the Felger and Maz program. Uh, that fans yeah. the Flames even more. Then there's Karen Garigian in the Herald over the weekend, and I'm saw I'm sure you saw this in her notes column saying um, Brady Belichick is beside the point. So, and I think yeah. I I fall more on the side of Karen. Karen's column because sure there's probably friction but once they get on the field it really doesn't matter it never has mattered let's put it that way in their uh, level of performance oh bingo and and first of all how could there not be tension they're three grown men you know not only three grown men but three guys who are as good at their jobs as anyone has ever been it's not all going to be you know, like, all right, let's all spoon on the couch together and, and have a, you know, and, and watch This Is Us and, and you know, and, and have a, get many petties. I mean, there's going to be beef. I get that, and, and I don't mind it. And I'm, to the point, Trent, I've come full circle on this to where I say, if Brady is really angry at Belichick, good. Bring it on. Yeah. Because this is a guy whose whole adult life has been fueled by his rage at different things. Going back to when he was behind Lloyd Carr's depth chart, that Gargamel-looking head coach of his at Michigan, behind his kid on the depth chart, where you know he was fighting for playing time with Drew Henson when he was the seventh quarterback drafted, when he was drafted behind Giovanni Carmazzi, who was literally a goat herder. High on the hill, the lonely goat herder was drafted ahead of Tom Brady. To the Flakegate and Spygate and all these things, he's always been that guy who is able to find the thing that gives him rage, that you know, uh, gives him the energy to do those extra sessions after practice, to make sure that he does a few more minutes of resistance man treatment or what, whatever it is. So if his new thing is, all right, I'm sick of Belichick, I'm going to show him more power to it. it. He doesn't strike me at all that he's wired to be the guy who says, I don't like this guy, therefore I'm going to shut it down and I'm not going to um, work hard and uh, I'm going to show him by failing. It's not going to happen. You know, Giovanni, this is full circle. Giovanni Carmazzi was drafted by the 49ers as the second overall quarterback taken in 2000. (laughs) And you know where I'm going to go with this next. What did you think of June Lee's Bleacher Report um, on uh, Jimmy G, Jimmy Garoppolo, and Jimmy G saying... Look, I, he said, I thought when I came in there, I was better than this dude. But if you read June's story very carefully, that really doesn't surprise anybody. Because if you're a quarterback in the NFL and you're young and you're coming in and there's no matter who the quarterback is, you're trained with all the people around you to think you're better than the guy, no matter if it's Car- Giovanni Carmazzi or Tom Brady. Right. So what did you think of June Lee's story? Not a badly written story, I will say this, the timing of it was genius, because it really didn't say much, but it came, it landed at a time when there's not a lot going on, so it got a billion times more attention than it really merited. Again, not not a bad article, but it was really just Garoppolo talking about uh, his situation now, uh, talking about how he and Brady got along, they were competitive or whatever. But we, I, I 
unofficially, I would say five times, said to him, wait, are you saying you're better than Brady? No, I'm not saying that. We, what I, did you say it? Did you think it then? And really all Garoppolo was saying, in a nutshell, I'm a competitive guy. I'm confident. I, right. I you know, want to be better than the, the head guy. It's really not that far different than what Brady thought when he was behind, you know, number four on the Patriots depth chart in 2000, behind, you know, the likes of Michael Bishop, who was being waived from the Canadian League like eight months later. Um, so, yeah, I didn't really think there was a lot there. A bunch of, you know, people have made a lot out of the uh, really early on in that thing where uh, Brady played a role in getting him traded. And and that, oh, if Belichick could have gotten multiple draft picks out of the Browns. I deny all of that. That just defies logic to me, that he took less because he wanted to send Garoppolo to a, a good place to me. is is it, it goes against everything we know about Bill Belichick as a coach, as a human being, as a competitor. Do, do you buy into that, that there was a I don't know. I, I, it, it depends on the levels of better deal. And if, if Bill thought he was going to get a very good deal from Cleveland – but he really liked Jimmy and wanted to do right by him. Yeah, you're right. It it does go against every single grain of knowledge we've ever known about Bill Belichick, uh, the purveyor of uh, the future of football in New England that we've ever known. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I I guess I fall on the side of maybe he did do maybe he did do Jimmy G a solid because he put up with so much crap, um, not of his own doing uh, in New England, and he was a good soldier. And I I will say this: I think Bill has rewarded those who have been loyal to him and who have uh, been hard workers. And I think we have no idea what kind of worker Jimmy G was behind the scenes. But everything, look, that first press conference, that conference call after the trade. Bill went out of his way to praise Jimmy G in his work habits, what he did for the team, and it was this effusive praise of Jimmy G that was also unlike Bill Belichick, and I thought that was an indication that that Jimmy G meant a lot to, to Bill, and I do think Jimmy G was you know, Bill's replacement. And at that point, I think he would have taken him over Tom Brady, but that's not the way it turned out. You know, the, the one quote from June's story that stuck out to me more than anything, and I know we got to get going here, but we got along, but there were always times where we wanted to kill each other. That, to me, says volumes about what that relationship between Jimmy G and Tom Brady was. Pause, oh, positively. And I, I, I know from, you know, one of the Patriots writers who said, you know, that Brady can be like that. That You know, one time Belichick was particularly cranky and I know you'll find it shocking, but yeah, sometimes he can be a bit of a gloomy Gus. And on this one particular press conference, he was, you know, being a little persnickety. And 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 the writer turned to Brady and said, "What's that all about?" And he goes, "This is what I've been dealing with for 17 years." Okay, <laughs> you know, and I think they just get it. Like they 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 have conflicts, but they bring out the best in each other. It's, you know, it's a it's a you know 18 year version of what went on between Lennon and McCartney, say, but they put together the greatest albums of all time. So um, my thing with, with Garoppolo and the trade, I, I don't think for one hot second that Belichick shocked him to all 31 GMs. I, I think he has a history of sort of dealing with the 
other GMs that he's comfortable dealing with. Why he always made a draft day deal with Andy Reid, even if it was for no reason other than let's make a deal. And John Lynch is like, you know, an old friend. And so I don't doubt for a second that he was all too happy to trade Garoppolo to a, a buddy of his. I just think the Cleveland thing is has been disproven already because, you know, there were sources on the, the Cleveland staff after the training deadline saying that they were apoplectic that San Francisco landed Garoppolo because they're at odds with their front office, all of whom went home at 5 o'clock on the trading deadline. Just, you know, turned off their computers and locked up the office and headed home to go, go have dinner. And the coaches were livid. Because wait, Garoppolo was available. Like, why didn't? And I don't think an offer from Cleveland was ever made. I don't either. But if there's any, there's anything about this 2018 off season that uh, we we can take to to the bank, it's that once someone prints it, it becomes fact, and that fact will be repeated forever. That will go down in history as Belichick turned down the fourth pick in the draft. They could have had the fourth pick, but they turned it down. Like, no. And I, and I still defy anybody to tell me how they could have kept Garoppolo short of making him their starter right now. This season, he's their starter. Meaning, you're, you're moving away from a guy who just won the MVP, who in the last two Super Bowls combined has thrown for just shy of 1,000 yards. And you're going to dump him now for a guy who, as we would stand here right now, had played a total of six quarters in his, in his life six quarters of pro football that, that, that mattered. And again, the revisionist history on this will be like, you know, will, will never go away. It's going to be that Belichick absolutely wanted him, but Kraft forced him to. I think what forced him to move on from Garoppolo is Brady's performance. I, I don't know how you move on from him just because of the, the number on his birth certificate. He looks great. He's played great. He just keeps winning. He carried that offense on his back through the, the Super Bowl, but the defense let him down. I, I just think in a perfect world, Brady would have faded it like any 40-year-old does, and then Garoppolo becomes the heir apparent, but Brady blew that up by being excellent. Brady wins his sixth ring in Atlanta in February. Does he walk out, uh, walk off the field for the final time? Oh, boy, that's a great question. I my my first instinct is no, but I I think for sure he's getting the pull from Giselle. I mean, I think they've made that really clear. Um, you know, a sixth puts him in a category all by himself that nobody will ever touch. Oh God! It, I know, think he does. A, I think if he wins in Atlanta in February, he's done. You know what? That would be. It would seem very Brady-like because I can't imagine that he wants to do the, you know, the Derek Jeter, make a speech in every city, you know, get introduced, get booed, no. get some stupid plaque. It's or, a different you know, dynamic anyway, Jerry. I mean, that, that won't happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, at the same time, James, I think his this this TV twelve thing is more than just a business venture. I think it's how he sees. Like he's changing the world, that he's going to rewrite what we know about human physiology and, and on and on. And I think his, he's hardwired to play till he's 45 because no quarterback has ever done that. They've had a handful of guys who played the 44, Warren Moon being one. Um, I, I think 
that's his his ultimate goal. Now, whether that that goal changes remains to be seen. I, I think if he does retire after a sixth ring this year, um, I, I think he's done a disservice to the team because I think part of why they moved on from Garoppolo is because he made a, a commitment to him. He's, he's in, said he wanted to play into his mid-40s, and if he changes that plan and we're staring at a future of Brian, then Brady's done this team dirty. And yeah, but you're not going to be staring at the future of Brian Hoyer. I mean, you know that, Jerry. Come on. I mean, they're, they're going to make some type of move. They're, they are geniuses when it comes to uh, adjusting their game plan on the fly, and I think they would be willing to do that. I mean, there's let, – Let the Danny Etling era begin. Uh, no. Well, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see about Danny Etling from uh, Louisiana State University. But anyway, uh, as we wrap it up, I want to uh, – let you tell people about From Darkness to Dynasty, um, certainly one of the must-have books about what the about the transformation of the Patriots from uh, just doormat to uh, arguably the best dynasty the NFL's ever seen. How can people still get it? Oh, I really appreciate it. It's available at bookstores everywhere. It's also on Amazon. Uh, there's a link to it on, on my site, jerrythornton.net. And, Trags, I wrote that book because I always wanted to read it, and huh. no one had written it. The, the universe was taking its sweet time, so I said, you know what, I want to. There's just so many stories, most of them hilarious, about just the level of dysfunction on the field, off the field, in the stands, the, the, the fact they went 11 years without a stadium, that they, they once played a home game in Birmingham, Alabama, and another one in San Diego, and when they finally built the place, it wasn't a stadium as much as it was a toilet bowl. It was the worst place in the history of sports, and every game was Lord of the Flies with <laughs> goalposts at the end. And just how they transformed themselves slowly with one bizarre series of events after another in 2001. And while the new stadium was being built you know, on the hill above the old crappy one, it's like this perfect metaphor for how they went from this downtrodden franchise that was going to threaten to move all the time to the gold standard of, of excellence. And I'm happy to say that uh, this September, um, I have a second book coming out. It's also about the Patriots called Five Rings. See if you can guess what it's about. Hint, it's not the Olympics. It's, it's about the championship era. And when they went from irrelevant to so hyper-relevant that everything they do is a scandal. Um, everything, how they can't go three days without being the center of the news. A little thing called the, the Deflate Gate, you might have remembered. And it's just a fan's perspective on this crazy ride that has ended with, you know, one trip to the Super Bowl after another and the 2008 season, which has been so freaking weird all, all summer and spring long that I can't wait to actually see them put on the pads and start hitting each other on Thursday. Well, I want to thank you, Jerry, but I also want to thank David Portnoy for allowing you to do this podcast. This was really a treat for me, and I'm sure a treat for our listeners, our loyal listeners of Patriots Beat here on CLNS Media. This has been fun, Jerry. Thanks so much. 
Hey, it's been my pleasure. And I will see you at camp early and often, my friend. Thanks for having me on. It's, it's always great to hear your voice again. Thanks again for downloading today's Patriots Beat. want to once again thank our guest, Jerry Thornton, the one and only Jerry Thornton from Barstool Sports. You can follow him on Twitter at JerryThornton1. I got that right, Jerry, right? JerryThornton1. Yeah, that's absolutely Jerry with a J, for no reason at all. Yes. You can also give us a follow at Patriots CLNS and at CLNS Media. Of course, give my own personal account a follow at Trags, T-R-A-G-S. Today's sponsor, 4hims.com. For Patriots content manager Mike Alonji, CLNS Media executive producer Larry H. Russell, the founder of the network, Nick Gelso. Thanks to everyone who tuned in. This is Mike Petralia, and this has been the Patriots Beat Podcast, powered by CLNS Media. 